Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Made by Women, a new podcast by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. At a moment when businesses face some of the biggest challenges in recent history, we bring you inspiring stories practical insights, and shared learnings to help you successfully navigate in today's environment. Every Thursday, Made by Women will showcase the experiences of legendary women entrepreneurs, fierce up-and-comers, and everyday women who found success their own way. Consider this your real-world MBA, designed for the new now. I'm Kim Azzarelli, and thanks so much for joining us today. Shyla Shepard is a master of the art of the pivot. The co-founder of Bow and Arrow Brewing Company, she's a Native American from North Dakota who grew up in a rural community so small it had no post office or gas station. She went on to study economics at Stanford University and work in venture capital. Her life took a turn when she established her successful brewery and tap room in Albuquerque. And then came the pandemic. What do you do when a health crisis impacts a business that heavily depends on in-person customers? If you're Shyla Shepard, you look at the problem and see a brand new opportunity to bring your product to fans in new and different ways. Listen as Shyla talks about finding new paths, drawing strength from your roots, and learning to face the storm rather than turning away. Well, Shyla, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about the company you started, uh, what you do, and where you're located? Sure. Um, so I founded Bow and Arrow Brewing Company um, back in 2013, and we officially opened our doors for business in 2016, February of that year. Um, so 
We are based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We have our brewery and on-site beer hall here, kind of in the heart of downtown Albuquerque. And we specialize in wild, sour, and Southwest-inspired beers. Very cool. So I'm going to take you way back. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Western North Dakota on the Fort Berthold Reservation. And how long were you in North Dakota for? Until I left for college. So my whole life and my whole family is still there. So that's, that's my first home. And New Mexico is kind of my, my second. And so you left North Dakota and you, I understand you went to Stanford? Yeah, I went undergrad there. And how did you decide to go to Stanford? And, and was entrepreneurship always in your, in your plans? So, um, so I grew up in a very small rural community. I mean, North Dakota in general is pretty rural, um, but the community that I grew up in is called Twin Buttes. And um, it's about 200 and it was less than 250 people. Um, and this is including people who live like down gravel roads and, you know, out in the country, so to speak. Um, and we didn't have a post office or a, a gas station or anything um, like that. So, and there wasn't a lot of business um, or enterprise at all in our community. So we would travel to the border town for things like groceries and gas and to check the mail. Um, and I guess having that experience um, and seeing kind of unsuccessful attempts by, you know, our, our tribe at sort of a government run business. Um, I don't know, I, I it really stuck with me. And I just really wanted to understand why there was such a lack of, you know, businesses there and examples of it. So when I left to Stanford, um, I was found myself in the heart of Silicon Valley. And I was really intrigued with, you know, what that was. Um, so I took some classes specifically on venture capital and started getting more familiar with what it was and how it could be um, a powerful source, you know, powerful economic engine to speed growth of businesses. Um, so it kind of just went back to like, you know, understanding what those challenges were and, you know, realizing that um, a lot of reservations, not just my own, there's, there's a lack of resources. Um, there's challenges in terms of access to capital and, you know, mentors, people who've been there, done that. Actually, my first job out of college was also in venture capital. And I was also interested in trying to understand how small businesses in particular worked and how they got capitalized. But I didn't stick with it as long as you did. So what kind of, what kind of companies did you cover in your VC days? I entered the industry here in Albuquerque. So um, I joined a group. I, I learned about this sort of subset of venture capital. It's had many names. You know, back in the day, I think it was called like community development venture capital. Um, and now it's known as like social impact investing. So the, the organization I joined was just getting off the ground New Mexico Community Capital, which was this community development financial institution focused on venture capital. So um, I joined the founding team, um, did all sorts of things, um, due diligence on companies, deal sourcing. And our initial fund was a New Mexico-centric fund, so geographically focused on the state of New Mexico. Um, so we were kind of, we took a generalist approach, but basically focused on businesses that were meeting 
basic needs. So um, we invested in clean water technology, green building products, um, some focus on agricultural sector, safety and security. So over the course of eight and a half years, I had, you know, just an amazing um, education kind of across the whole spectrum of, of the space. So you're in the VC world. You, as you said, had a great education. You're you're active in all bunch of different kinds of companies. And then you decide that you want to start your own brewery. How does that happen? Well, it went back, you know, growing up where I came from, I was fortunate not to have a family or, or a mom that was like pushing me in any one direction, but she was just very supportive of, you know, whatever it was I wanted to do. Um, and so that was really helpful, but I, you know, I, I guess looking back, I still felt sort of an obligation to do something that was, you know, quote unquote, very like professional and, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, and I, I did that. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Um, but I did know that I wanted to start something from the ground up and I didn't know exactly what it would be. Um, and honestly didn't like connect the like passion interest I had in craft beer that started back in college to that ultimately. So it took some time <laughs> to figure that out. Um, and then also in, in some of the deals we were doing and interested in doing um, with the fund, I definitely got sort of tuned into the slow food movement. And I eventually was kind of seeing that intersection of, you know, locally produced craft beer, um, the connections that we as breweries can have with the local agricultural community as well and how we can support each other. Um, so it all sort of started to come together in my mind and then also um, just paying attention to the regulatory environment. Alcohol can be really like weird and all over the place as far as laws and restrictions from city to city, state to state. Um, and I was recognizing that here in New Mexico at the time, you know, it was pretty craft beer friendly. Um, you could have multiple locations where you could serve, you know, your product and have kind of a central production facility. Um, so I really was drawn to that because I enjoy curating a space and an experience around the product. Um, mm -hmm. So all of that made a lot of sense um, to me, but I got my introduction to craft beer in Palo Alto. Um, <laughs> at the time, there's a Gordon Biersch, and that's where I had my first Hefeweizen and sort of just got drawn in and my curiosity kind of got the better of me and just kind of kept digging deeper and deeper. Um, and all the while, you know, pursuing my professional career. Um, yeah. And then back in probably 2012 is when I was like realizing we were at a point in our funds life, you know, limited partnership is usually 10 year cycles. And so we were having discussions, of course, on fund two and what that would look like. And, Given I was involved in some of these conversations with limited partners, I just, you know, my heart wasn't in it anymore and I was ready to move on and not commit to another fund. Right, right. So it kind of, it pushed me to then take the leap um, and go out on my own. I was just going to ask you something related to that, which is a lot of people have ideas um, and they even might have a passion, but it's really hard to make that leap. Was it hard for you to do that? And and what were the early years like in starting this business? It was scary because I, you know, I I really enjoyed what I did. Um, and it was, you know, I had the security <laughs> of my paycheck, my compensation. 
And so it, it was definitely scary to start something from the ground up in walking away from that. But again, I just felt like it's now or never. And, you know, the landscape changes very quickly. And so I just felt like I, the time was of the essence. and I needed to just focus 100% of my time on it. So yeah, it was definitely scary, but I had, you know, the support, the the moral support of of my partner and now wife. Um and she was working her way through med school and residency, and I think at the time she had just finished residency, so she was kind of on her own track and so I felt like we could take on the financial risk of me quitting my job to pursue this. So it was thoughtful and strategic about like, you know, the finance side of it is a big part for people and can be the gating factor, you know, but I dove in <laughs> and, uh, it, and things worked out. So, Yeah. Well, I mean, in all the people that I've spoken to, and of course, in my own experience, there's of course, always ups and downs and, and the struggle of entrepreneurship is real. I mean, what do you, what do you rely on in those difficult moments? Well, I was fortunate to grow up, you know, with a family that kind of grounded me and kind of my my grandma in particular, my mom's mom. She's still, you know, such a strong, um, tenacious figure and has always been an inspiration to me. Um, she's She always says, like, where there's a will, there's a way. And I've seen her exercise that, you know, time and time again. So I'm like, so that I feel like, and I'm her granddaughter. So... <laughs> I need to, you know, take strength from that. And so I do. And there's just many examples. I mean, especially just being a Native person, seeing the resilience that our people have had to um, exercise, you know, throughout the year. So, I mean, I take a lot of strength in that. So you're you're building your business. You took the leap and, and it became a success. Uh, tell us more about the nuts and bolts of the business. Yeah. So it's, the way we got started is really um, the bread and butter of our revenue was through the beer hall. So people coming in and buying beer by the glass or filling growlers. Um, and I was actually in the process of opening our first offsite location in the Four Corners area um, when COVID hit. <laughs> so that that led to a huge pivot for us. Um, so that was that was the model. And just over the last couple months, um, I put the Four Corners tap room on pause. So that's still, I'm still figuring out, you know, how and when that happens. Um, the current uh, public health order restrictions are allowing for only 50% of patio sales. And that location has no patio. Oh boy! <laughs> so yeah, so it's 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 definitely this time has you know forced uh, me to not let uncertainty paralyze my decision making. But it's I really try to focus on what can I control. You know what can I do? Um, so over the course of the last couple of months, I've you know folk re kind of focused our efforts on purchasing a canning line. So we're able to get more product into customers' hands, not just through our locations, but we're in, you know, the three Whole Foods here in New Mexico and the Total Wine and some of the more popular bottle shops as well. Um, so that's been a huge pivot for us. 
during this time. And I'm just having to, you know, think about things I didn't have to before. Um, but I'm like, these are the challenges I want to have. If Whole Foods wants to buy out most of our batch, well, you know, we need to figure out how to how to ration it and make it stretch and figure out how to increase our production. Wow. You actually went out and bought a canning operation. Uh, we did. <laughs> and that's been, and that's, you know, that was kind of a, a wild ride. I had lined up a used canning line here um, locally and unexpectedly that deal fell apart after, you know, we had made a commitment. So that was really stressful. So suddenly it's like, well, we're buying a new canning line and <laughs> kind of through that process. And, you know, this decision is one that usually takes like a year or so right. of planning because there's so many manufacturers these days. So we just dug in and did a lot of due diligence, talked to a lot of people, visited some other um, breweries and one cidery in town to see, you know, what they were doing, what they liked about their systems. Um, and then just moved on it. Thankfully, um, we've done, we've only done like four canning runs so far. We had, my goal was to have our first cans roll out by July 1st. Um, so we met that deadline and we were able to make the huge 4th of July weekend, um, which is a big weekend for beer sales. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, so it's, that's been kind of a roller coaster, but it's, it's kind of funny just in sitting down to think about and reflect, you know, it's kind of, it's just a lot of just looking like, okay, we passed, you know, we got over that obstacle and it's just like, keep charging forward. So it's, it's interesting to stop and kind of reflect on the bumps in the road. Cause I'm not one to focus on them. So I have to really like think about it in a deliberate way. <laughs> Do you find that, you know, over time, uh, you know, hitting these different bumps along the way, you you kind of have a, a mental resilience where it doesn't seem as bumpy over time once you've gone through a few of them. Absolutely, yeah. It's like why why get worked up about something? Let's just focus on the solution and keep moving forward. Um, yeah, my one of my grandpas raised buffalo, and as kids, this is another one of those lessons that has really stuck with me. But he would take us out on the prairie, and we'd all be like standing in the back of the truck and he'd be out with the buffalo and he would talk to us and tell us about, he's like, you see how thick, you know, the buffalo's fur is on, you know, the front of their body. And did you know that in the fiercest blizzard and storms, they turn and they face the storm. And so he taught us that in life, you're going to face challenges. But he said, be like the buffalo. You don't run away from it. You don't turn away from it. You face it. And so that's something also that I've it makes a lot of sense now. And I really try to emulate that. That is such good advice. You know, you have this background in venture capital. It's probably served you very well. And when you're thinking about expansion and how to buy a canning operation or how to really access capital in your own business, do you have advice to other entrepreneurs about accessing capital? I would say like one of the biggest ones is, you know, there's lots of different flavors of capital, lots of different sources. I think having a sense for what ultimately you want to do with the business. Because, you know, as a former venture capitalist, if, if we were looking at a company, there has to be some sort of like exit strategy, right? What does that look like? And, you know, the expectations of a VC for returns are much higher. So if, if you're pursuing that flavor of capital, you know, you should have a certain sort of growth plan. So I think sometimes people get sort of 
caught up into, you know, the idea of, of raising and securing that sort of capital, but it's not always a good fit. So I think really understanding what your goals are as a business is really important as you think about the types of capital, whether it's, whether it's an SBA loan, you know, or institutional money or friends and family. So just sort of managing and understanding, like, what are your goals for your business? Does that align with the type of capital that you're wanting to raise? That's great advice because I think you're so right. There's so many people, I mean, because venture capital and kind of these unicorn type businesses have been in the press so much. I think people think if they need capital, they think they need venture capital. And it's such a good point that you make that people need to understand their long-term goals because VC is a very specific kind of capital with very specific expectations. Yes. So is there anything that you wish someone had told you about running your business that you wish you had known before you started? I can't remember who it was, um, but it was, you know, some, one of the entrepreneurs I've worked with in the past, you know, the advice was like, just be comfortable that you can't know everything. You can't have all the answers, but, you know, be good at seeking out, you know, the resources and sources and don't be afraid to reach out to people to, you know, find answers. So I think just having some comfort and knowing it's okay. I can't know everything. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, this is new territory and starting something from scratch comes with so many moving parts and especially in, you know, a highly regulated industry like alcohol. Right. You know, and I think being okay with that was, was really important and sort of pushing, pushing forward. Um, I also think in the early days, what really helped me was being organized. I had, you know, I'm a voracious checklister. I still am. <laughs> and I have all of my little moleskin notebooks um, from early days, which is actually really fun to look back at and sort of page through. It's like incorporate, you know, or decide on a legal structure, <laughs> you know, get a, a, a tax ID or your FBIN. And it's interesting to look back at that, but also in the moment, there are, like I said, so many moving parts that it really helps to make it feel more manageable if you have like a game plan. So I've had, you know, multiple spreadsheets where they're literally called the game plan or my to-do list. And one might be related to corporate decisions or, you know, financial. Um, but at least I sort of put it down and then it seems, it just seems a lot more manageable. And there are times when you can, you know, get distracted, but if you have your game plan, your list in front of you, it can really help you remain focused. That's such great advice. Again, great advice. I was thinking when you were talking earlier about being comfortable with the unknown and then combining that with what your grandfather told you about facing challenges head on. I feel like that's a really powerful combination. And then if you add the checklist to it, I could see how this could be a very successful company. Yeah. And I was, I felt like so validated when I read um, Atul Gawande's A Checklist Manifesto. I'm like, yes, I'm so... Yes, this is this makes so much sense to me. <laughs> so I know that the business that you're in doesn't have a lot of women, uh, actually. Are you finding that you are kind of one of those pioneers? And is there a community of women in the brewery business that you can relate to or trade ideas with? I think we're getting there. I mean, there's big discussions. I mean, especially just in in across in the world right now about sort of racial like inequities and inequalities. And I think what's and there's been a conversation also just within the craft beer industry recently that's starting to take place. The Brewers Association, which is sort of the national um, 
advocacy organization for breweries here um, in the United States. They created a position um, as a diversity ambassador to kind of have some of these and facilitate some of these difficult conversations about, you know, questions around why aren't there more people of color, more women. Um, so that's happening right now. And I, at a national conference, stood in line to talk with one of the presenters who who is in that role, the Brewers Association's um, diversity ambassador. And so I've connected with her and she continues to do a lot of that work and has connected me with other people. So I think the more you reach out to folks, you know, just build that network and create awareness that, you know, hey, I'm in the industry and here's what I'm doing and being curious about, you know, learning what other women and people of color are doing is is a start. Um, so that's something, you know, that's important to me, but also just at the end of the day, it's like, hey, I'm a small business owner and I face the same challenges that other, you know, non-people of color are facing. And I, you know, it's important that you don't put the expectation on yourself that you have to save the world. And I feel like sometimes as a woman of color, a Native American, they, you know, there's some expectation that you are, you have all of these other things that you're expected to accomplish. Some of it I feel is a little unfair because it's a young company that I'm running and lots of challenges. There's COVID lots of things going on. And so it's like, you know, seeing more people like myself in the industry is something that I want for us. Um, but I've also recognized just representation and um, putting yourself out there and sharing your story can be powerful in and of itself. We totally agree with everything you've just said. And really, it's why we have Made by Women. Just to share these stories is, is so important. So I guess my last question is, in this very difficult time, and we're obviously all facing uh, pretty unprecedented times, what is keeping you optimistic or making you optimistic? I think the resilience of my team. Uh, we're definitely having to make a lot of difficult decisions, but I feel like they've been very understanding and recognize that, you know, there's a lot of things that are out of our control. Um, but their faith in me in leading our company through this has been really wonderful, you know, because not everyone deals with these uncertain times. Well, so true. Well, we would love for the world as the world uh, is already beginning to know about bow and arrow. And we love to tell our listeners how they can support you and, and get access to your product. So um, how can they do that? Sure. So as far as um, folks outside of New Mexico goes, they can purchase merchandise from our website at bowandarrowbrewing.com. So we have, you know, t-shirts and hats and pins. And for folks in New Mexico, um, you can find our product by coming to the brewery here in central Albuquerque, or you can find our cans or, you know, wild and sour beers on the shelves of Whole Foods, Total Wine, Jubilation, Susan's, uh, The Cellar up in Taos, and a few other places. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And so thanks so much for being on Made by Women. Oh, Kim, thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. There's so much to learn from Shyla Shepard. Three pieces of advice really made an impact on me. First, Find the solution and keep moving forward. Shyla's grandfather, who raised buffalo, told her that even in the fiercest blizzard, 
Buffalo don't turn their backs on the storm. They face it. In life, we're going to face challenges. Be like the buffalo and face life's storms head on. Second, be comfortable with not knowing everything. You can't have all the answers, but you can seek out resources and contact people who can help you figure it out. Finally, value your uniqueness and operate from authenticity. As Shyla says, putting yourself out there and sharing your story can be powerful in and of itself. Have a great week. Made by Women is brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.